I've always had a soft spot for the minor characters in a story. Whether it's in a book or in a movie, I tend to get drawn into someone who doesn't play a major role in the bigger story. And I want to know more about them. How did they come to be involved in this bigger story? What role will they play in the plot as it goes forward? As an example, I have a very clear memory from when I was eight or nine years old being very disappointed, disappointed when I discovered that there was not an action figure for a minor Star Wars character. I was upset. And so what did I do? I bought a character that looked like him and I put markings on him and named him after that character because I wanted to have this minor character involved in the stories that I was making up in my head. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can think of a character from one of your favorite stories that wasn't at the center of the plot, but their involvement in the bigger story ends up being crucial to how you understand what was going on. Now in our passage for today, we cross paths with someone who is a very minor character in the story of Abraham, in the story of Scripture. But her name comes up again later on in the New Testament. Why? Because what happens to her shows us the truth of what Jesus Christ has done to save us. And so as we come to this story today, we're going to do what we've done at other times in our excursions through the book of Genesis. We're not going to do a deep dive into every detail, every word and phrase here of this story. But instead, our goal is to think about how this story connects with the bigger picture, the bigger story in Genesis, and how it points us forward to the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So to do this, we're going to break down the passage that we have today into three main points to help us have a framework that will help us to understand the ideas that are at play here in Genesis 16. First thing that we're going to see is that Sarai becomes impatient with God. It isn't Abram who pushes the idea of him having offspring through one of Sarai's servants. You would think that that would be where the push would come from, but it's not from Abram. And on top of it all, we will see that Sarai will suggest that, that they should do this because the Lord has kept her from having children. Yeah, that's right, she essentially blames God. And this shows a lack of patience, but it also shows us a thought that, hey, maybe I can help God along. What I'm actually doing that would be wrong is, is actually a good thing because God needs my help. Secondly, we're going to see that after a child is conceived, Hagar looks at Sarai with contempt, and so Sarai deals harshly with her, and she's sent away, and that's the major plot point here. This woman is out in the wilderness by herself. Will she survive? Yes, she now can be away from the oppression of Sarai, but will she survive by herself in the wilderness? And finally, we see that Hagar understands that God sees her. Even though she was sent out from the people and the child in her womb is not the child of the promise, still, God assures her that he will bless her child. And she comes to understand that even though she is ethnically not a part of the people of God, God still sees her 
and he keeps her safe and keeps her child safe. And so we're going to quickly dive into our first point as we look at the first couple verses from this passage today. Right away, we're reminded of the problem that looms over this story. I'm bringing it up all the time. There's a problem here that is over this and is a dark cloud over this. This whole story we've been following with Abram is dependent upon this promise that God has made to Abram. It's simple. God has promised Abram that he will be a great nation, and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Pretty straightforward promise. Well, that can't happen if he's childless, period. He doesn't have a child, it's done. The promised Messiah, who, who's supposed to come and crush the head of the serpent, who is supposed to come from Abram's line, if he doesn't have any children, it's done. The story ends. Period. That's it. And so Sarai thinks she knows better than God. Even though God has been deliberate to preserve and protect Sarai, we've seen that, so far, she doesn't see herself as an important part of the equation. God promised that Abram would be blessed. Sarai's name hasn't come up. Well, now, of course, we've, we've seen that clearly, that, that what God is going to do is bless them through Sarai. He protected her, not only when, when they went into Egypt and that whole debacle where he pretends like he's his sister, he protected Sarai, so clearly the promise is going to come through her. But there is a theme that's happening that shows us that Sarai is the one. What is this theme underlying all of this promise? You know, there's, there's nothing special if Abram goes out and finds a younger woman and has a child, right? That can happen. There's nothing physiologically impossible with that. But in this story... We're seeing that it's supposed to happen through Sarai. Why? Because we've all thumbed through a Guinness Book of World Records, right? And come across the oldest woman to have a child. I checked. There's nothing there about the man. That's nothing special. But it's special when a woman conceives. And on top of it all, not only is Sarai too old, but she has been barren her whole life. And so the underlying theme here is that this is impossible. It can happen. God has made an impossible promise. The promise that one will come who will crush the head of the serpent can't happen. Satan is going to win. That's what we're meant to feel is the theme underlying this whole story of Abram. And so that's how we know that Sarai is the one who the promise will come through because it's supposed to be impossible. But all things are possible with God. I've pointed out so many times that this is the big story here. Sarai's womb is dead, but God is going to bring it to life. It's going to require a miracle that only God can do. And remember, this is to ultimately point us to the salvation that you and I have in Jesus Christ. The point is, just as Sarai and Abram can't get pregnant on their own, you and I can't save ourselves. Because just like Sarai's womb, you and I are dead in our trespasses and sins apart from Christ. We need him. 
We need to be resurrected to newness of life. That's the story here. Yes, it's about Sarai and having a child, but ultimately it's about us and how Christ is going to resurrect our dead hearts and give us faith to believe in him. And so we come to this story, and as we continue through the text, we see that Sarai is very set on her rebellion because she manages to blame God for all this. The Lord has prevented her from having a children. Yep, it's his fault, right? He said he was going to. He hasn't done anything. Clearly, God wants us to go about this another way. Clearly, we're supposed to do something else because he hasn't fulfilled his promise yet, so let's you and I figure out a way to solve this. And so we know what she does. This isn't a story they put in our Sunday school books, right? She suggests that Abram go outside their covenant of marriage to conceive a child. And we see the problem here. It goes way beyond not just trusting in the promise of God, right? They're forsaking their covenant of marriage. This is the definition of messing things up. And we're going to see that this is going to have ramifications as we go forward in this story, but it has ramifications not only in Scripture, but in our world today. This has continued throughout. This, this intervention in the plan of God causes unending problems. And it's not just that Sarai suggested this. Abram makes a major error. He listened to his wife. Now, that's not advice that, uh, here, fellas, uh, that's not the problem. This isn't advice to say you don't need to listen to your wives. In fact, I would, I would suggest otherwise. But, so don't take away that as an application. The issue here is that he listened to the voice of Sarai instead of the clear voice of the Lord. Abram is told that, that God will provide. And when things have gone right for Abram, why is it? We've seen it. When things go well for Abram, what does he do? He listens to the clear voice of the Lord. It's what he does. But when he doesn't listen to the clear voice of the Lord, things go off the rails. Things go off the rails for Abram. And as we move on to our second point, we see just how badly this goes off the rails. And we, we can see this coming. Just read the basic setup for the plot. You know this isn't going to go well. And we see that Abram conceives a child with Hagar, and afterwards, Hagar has contempt for Sarai. Now, you might think it would go the other way, that Sarai would have contempt for Hagar, but that's not what the text says. And we don't know what it means exactly. We don't have the details of the interaction. Is there contempt because Hagar is upset about what she had to do, what her uh, mistress told her that she had to do? Or is she upset that she's having a child? We don't know. Most likely that's not the case because having a child was a great blessing in the ancient world and it's still a great blessing. Most likely the contempt that we see here is because she sees herself as being better than Sarai. Why are you my mistress when you can't even have a child? Who are you? You can't provide for Abram. I can and this is understandable because, like I said, this is the greatest blessing in their world. In the ancient world, to have children was the greatest blessing, just as it is now. And so Hagar conceiving a child from Abram shows that the fault isn't with Abram, but with Sarai. She must be cursed. She must not be good enough. 
God loves me. God loves Hagar better than Sarai. Who would have imagined that he would love an Egyptian woman over a child of the promise? You get the idea. You feel what's going on. And we see here, as we read this, that this leads to a level of drama about the same as a soap opera, right? That's about where it goes. Sarai says that she is upset that Hagar is doing this, and then she blames Abram. She blames Abram. It's all your fault, Abram, that I told you to leave our covenant of marriage, and, and uh, the woman who is carrying your child is mistreating me. It's all your fault. Well, can you imagine that argument? Can you imagine having that one? Yeah, yikes. That, that's just a situation that is all kinds of ugly. And it leads to Abram saying, hey, you can, you can imagine, hey, hands off, you, you deal with it, right? He says, she's your servant, do what you want. And after Sarai deals with her harshly, Hagar flees and ends up in the wilderness on her own, and this obviously puts her in a precarious situation. Imagine this for a minute with me. Imagine being a scared, pregnant woman who's a servant on the run from her mistress. And then imagine you're in the ancient world by yourself. It is dark. There are no streetlights. Imagine the situation that you are in. There's nowhere to run. There's not shelters. You are by yourself in the wilderness. I can think of hundreds upon hundreds of negative situations that I would rather be in than what Hagar is in. It's terrible. It's terrible to imagine where she must have been at with all this happening. But as we come to our third point, Hagar comes to understand that God sees her. In fact, the angel of the Lord finds her. And as I said, with everything that's going on in the service today, we're not going to dwell on every verse and dig down, but we got to see the big picture here. And we see that God not only comes to Hagar in the wilderness, but he lets her know that she's going to be okay. And that the child that is growing within her womb will be named Ishmael, which means God hears. Her son will be a witness to the truth that, that God heard her cries and her pain. And if God gives the child a name, that means something important. It means that she will survive. And if, then if he has a reputation that people will know him, then God is blessing him with life and with wealth. Not only is Hagar going to survive, but she's going to be blessed and her child is going to be blessed. There will be ramifications for everything that has gone down, though. We see that here. He is going to be at, be at odds with his kinsmen. And one of the consequences of this is that the children of Ishmael and the children of the child of the promise, who will be born later, we're coming up on that, but those two children, their descendants, were at odds throughout Scripture. They were at war, and they're still at war today. This has consequences, long-term consequences, not just in Genesis, but now. But beyond these consequences and pain that has been caused here, there's something important we need to see about the bigger picture. There is an amazing truth that we come to understand here about the salvation that comes from God to his people. And we see it as this passage closes out today. What does Hagar call God? A God of seeing. 
She has been looked after by him. And think about how substantial this is. Hagar is an outsider. She is an Egyptian. She is merely a servant. But God sees her and calls her back to the people of the covenant. Even though she was an outsider, God cared for her. And this beautiful truth actually points you to us. It points to us modern-day believers because we are outsiders. We're Gentiles. We had no place being in covenant with God, but through the work of Jesus for us, we have been brought into the family of God, and we have salvation. Because in our sin, we were in the wilderness. In our sin, we were doomed to starvation. We were alone. It was destitute. It was dark. But God saw us. God saw us and rescued us by his mercy and grace And he brought us, through the blood of Jesus, into the family of God. And before we move on to our application for this passage, we need to see what Hagar named the well where God met with her. It's Bir Lahai Roy, which literally means the well of the living one who sees me. She understands deeply who God is and knows how amazing the grace and mercy of God is because the living God of all creation saw her and he reached out and saved her. And what a beautiful picture it is to remind us of the living water that we have in Jesus Christ and the waters of baptism that we saw today that mark us as Christ's own and make us a part of the covenant community. And so as we step away from here today, and as we go out into God's world, I want us to come away with two very important points of application from this passage today. The first is that we need to trust in the clear voice of Scripture. In God's Word, we have clear direction from the Lord informing us of what we're called to do. And we need to be sure to listen to his holy word and not to the human voices that can attempt to lead us astray. Now, you may have noticed something here in this passage today. There is an echo in this passage of Genesis 3. Remember back to Genesis 3, the fall? Eve goes to Adam and says, here, take the fruit. There's a retelling here of that story, isn't there? Because when we read of the temptation to Eve, what did she say? Or what did the serpent say? Did God really say? That was the temptation to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say that you weren't to eat from here or there? And as we've talked about, every temptation, every sin, ultimately comes down to, do we really believe what God said is true? Well, Abram had the same thing happen to him that happened to Eve, or that happened to Adam. Sarai tempts him. How? By questioning the promise of God. It is as if the, the fall of humanity is reverberating over and over again through this story, that our fall into sin is once again being rehashed. And it isn't just here. 
This isn't the only place we see this. We saw it in other places in Genesis already. We'll see it again, and we see it every day in our lives. The fall reverberates to us because we don't listen to the clear voice of the Lord. We try to solve things on our own, and we say, did God really say? It rears its head in our lives every day. Do we really believe when God tells us what is true? His word is clear. Sin is sin. And we need the truth of his word. And we need to trust in the clarity of that word and believe the promise that is there for all believers that not only calls us to repent, but it calls us to trust in Christ alone for our salvation. So first, we need to hear that clear voice of Scripture. But secondly, we need to remember that God sees us. Now, I'm not talking about living in fear. I'm not talking about living in fear that God's watching everything we do and so we walk around on eggshells worried about whether or not he's going to smite us. That's, that's not what I'm driving at. What I mean today is that in the midst of our pain and in the midst of suffering, God sees his people and he remembers us. No matter how much we fail, no matter how much we sin, his word is clear. It calls us to return to him because he sees us and he loves us no matter what. He calls us to return to his covenant faithfulness and to trust that he will provide for us. Each of us, every last one of us, come up against difficulties in our lives. But we can have a certain confidence that God sees us in our pain and that he sees us in our struggles. Even when we feel even when we feel as though we're in the deepest, driest wilderness of our lives, God does not leave you or forsake you. He sees you. And this is why it is so necessary that we hear the clear voice of Holy Scripture speaking to us because we need to be reminded of the love and mercy that He's shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That word of the gospel that word of the gospel, that clear voice, comes to us in the dryness of our lives, in the wilderness of our lives. And it's a living water. It's a living water. It's our wellspring of hope. And I don't know where you're at today, but God knows. He sees you, He knows your pain, He sees your struggles. And you're here today to hear the word and to hear the gospel and to know that Christ died to save you from your sin. You are here today. You are blessed to have seen the waters of baptism so that you might remember God's covenant faithfulness to you in your own baptism. And you're here today to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper so that you might taste and see that the Lord is good. So no matter what you're going through today, God sees you just as he saw Hagar. So as you step out from here today into the world, remember the truth that God sees you. And may you hear his clear voice from his holy word so that you can be daily reminded that you are Christ's own and he has laid hold of you and he loves you. Amen.